Good day, my friends. This is Barry Cox, and uh, this is another episode of Discerning Our Times. And today, I feel led to share about what is really the main heart of why I felt led to do this series. And I've, I've titled this segment, Deception, The Need for Discerning Our Times. So as we wrapped up our last segment, we recognized the reality of our current existence in our day. We live, and this is throughout time since the fall of man, actually. We live day to day in kingdoms and conflict. The kingdom of this world is one of lies, deception, death, and destruction. The kingdom of God is one of truth, clear guidance, and life. God the Father is patiently delaying the return of Jesus so that no one will perish, but everyone has a chance to come to repentance. So as we begin today to look at deception, the need for discerning our times, we, as we're considering these end times, Three chapters specifically address the signs of the times. There are Matthew 24, Luke chapter 21, and Mark chapter 13. And all of these are in answer to the disciples' question to Jesus, what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? Now, as Jesus answers these in all three of these chapters, there's, there's really two themes that stand out. The first is simply that no one will know the exact day or hour of Jesus' return. But since that is the case, we need to seek to be ready for his return at any time. That's the first theme. The second theme is what we're going to focus on today. And that theme is, be careful that you're not deceived. So as we get into this, guiding our discussion is Matthew chapter 24, verses one to five. And so it begins this way. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, <clears throat> Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us when these things will be, and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the end of the age. And then verse 4 is a point of emphasis. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. Now as we look at the context of this passage, it's very clear how the disciples are are just amazed at Herod's temple. And so they're marveling at it. Well, Jesus says, look, guys, this this whole thing's going to be destroyed. 
And the historical accuracy of Jesus's prophecy here is remarkable because in 70 AD, Roman Emperor Vespasian came to Israel in response to the Jews' rebellion and resistance against Rome and completely annihilated the Jews, destroyed the temple completely, and even took the Jews captive and helped made them help to rebuild the Roman Colosseum or to build the Roman Colosseum. So, <clears throat> as Jesus is saying this to the disciples, the disciples are asking this key question which we've addressed before. What sign will signal your return? And so Jesus' Jesus's reply begins in this amazing way. Don't let anyone mislead you. Many will be deceived. And then later in Matthew 24, verse 24, he even puts it even more directly and even more uh, in a way that, that's almost fearful for us. Because he says in verse 24 of Matthew 24, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. So the emphasis of Jesus about the end times is to not be misled or fall into deception. Now, what, what is deception? Just the heart of it. Deception is being duped and kept from knowing the truth. And as we think about it, as we think about our day, clearly a main characteristic of our time is confusion about what the truth is. So, as we continue our discussion here today, the last part of our discussion, or the rest of our discussion, is going to be just discussing the difficulty, the extreme difficulty, of discerning the truth in our day. And, and this is such a huge deal. I mean, how do you even start? Where There's so much that could be said. Where do you even begin to talk about the the difficulty of knowing what the truth is in our day. So how I'm going to begin is simply by underlining Jesus' clear emphasis. He says very clearly here, a major and perhaps the major sign of the end times will be deception. Warning us not to be deceived is where he begins talking about the end times. And so that is the motivation, really, for this whole study. And, and, and just, just the need of the difficulty of, of recognizing what the truth is. And, and that, that reality of so much deception being in the end times, is, and, and even so much deception and, and, and lack of clarity of what the truth is, in our day is what's motivating our our discussion of this this great need to seek to discern our times now a part of the difficulty of discerning the truth i, I believe part part of the difficulty of discerning the truth in our day uh, is reflected in in a, a prophecy of isaiah Isaiah in chapter 5, 
verse 20, said these words. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute light, darkness for light and light for darkness. Let me read that again. Isaiah 5 verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness. Wow, what a commentary that is on our day. How many things that are happening that are good are called evil. And how many things that are very evil are called good. How 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 characteristic is of our day those things that are really darkness are referred to as light. And so <clears throat> now there's many illustrations in our day of this. And so I so I had to begin with just a basic truth of scripture about who God is. And so so um, we'll, as we start here, it's I'm going to start with Psalm 100. Psalm 100 says, Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us, and not we ourselves. We are His. Give thanks to Him and praise His name. For the Lord is good, and His love endures forever. Excuse me, my cat's bothering me. <laughs> so, so, um, so as we begin here, you know, just, just, just to focus on who God is, and that, that he, it is He who made us. We're His, and He's good, and His love endures forever. And so, I begin here because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And and Psalm 14 says, only a fool says in in his heart, there is no God. And so as we think about our day and how how so often good things are called evil and evil things are called good, a very powerful current event that, that illustrates the difficulty of discerning the truth in our day is abortion, especially as we think, as we bear in mind Isaiah's prophecy of good being called evil and evil being called good. Since Roe versus Wade was decided in 1973, that's the, the famous Supreme Court case that made abortion legal. That was 1973. Since that time, there's been an, an estimated 62 million abortions. And so, so as we look at abortion, it's a very difficult topic to discuss. And but seldom do we begin in thinking of abortion at the very beginning, at, at sexual intercourse itself. And and sexual intercourse is an amazing creation of our God. What an what how how amazingly good and awesome. His design for sex is. And of course, a part of sex is just the possibility of pregnancy. Therefore, God tells us sex must be done responsibly between two people who are truly committed to each other and are willing to responsibly care for the consequences of their mutual pleasure, which may be a child. 
So, Scripture says, therefore, that sex should be in the context of marriage. This is, a, this is obviously a good thing. A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they'll be, they'll be one flesh. And Scripture talks about sex outside of these guidelines, and, they call, and Scripture calls it sexual immorality. And so, if God's principles were followed, what would result? There'd be good families. There would be good families who want to responsibly raise wanted children. And this would undeniably be a good thing. And so, um, Scripture tells us very clearly, 1 Corinthians six eighteen, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Well, this, this good, holy, wholesome approach that God has to responsible sex is honestly difficult. It re requires restraint and discipline. So, what has the kingdom of this, this world done with sex? There's a massive movement to sexual freedom. And so what has happened in our day is sexual immorality is now the norm. And in fact, in our culture, there's so much pressure on young people to be sexually active that if they're not, they're like considered nerds and, and almost queer or strange. And so, so what scripture calls to be a sin against our own bodies, the world has called good. And if you're not doing this, you're, you're weird. So as a result of all this sexual freedom, what has resulted? Tons and tons of irresponsible sex and millions upon millions of unwanted pregnancy resulting in millions upon millions of abortions. And not only is abortion legally protected, but even our tax dollars are used to support an organization called Planned Parenthood. Now, that very name itself is deceptive. Their main function is not at all to plan parenthood, but to abort babies. And here is our tax money taken to support them. But, if we as Christians say to the world, have responsible sex, have sex in the context of a loving marriage. If we do that, that's an, an evil oppression of our values on the world. As scripture says, a good thing being called evil. You know, as we reflect on this, is the abortion of 62 million babies an illustration of our kingdoms in conflict? Does abortion illustrate Jesus's description of himself in the, in the, in the conflict with our, our adversary he, that he describes in, in John 10? John 10, verse 10, he, Jesus says there, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they have it, may have it more abundantly.
So one other brief thought regarding abortion. Abortion has come to be referred to as reproductive freedom for women. Now, Scripture is clear that God gives life and, he, and God causes conception. Psalm 139, verse 13, God says, for, uh, or it says there, For you created my innermost parts, you wove me in my mother's womb. Job 31, 15, Did he who made me in the womb not make him and, and the same one create us in the womb? Jeremiah 1, 15 says, Before you formed me in the womb, I knew you. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. So with those things in mind, that God has creates us, forms us, shapes us in our mother's womb, what a deceptive use of the words is reproductive freedom. You know, that, 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 this, that phrase itself is so deceptive. Consider all of oral history. Only in our day has it been considered a freedom for one person to take another's life. All right, as we continue just to kind of think through our, our time here and the, how difficult it is to discern the truth, another very deceptive and difficult thing to discern in our day is homosexuality and the resulting confusion of gender identity. Let's consider that. Let's begin this discussion with just Jesus' words in Matthew 19, verse 4. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Sexual pleasure is a gift of God. And, and this amazing gift of God, the sexual pleasure between a man and his wife are such a source of praise to God as what an awesome creator he is and what a loving Heavenly Father God he is. It is amazing how he created and designed a man and his wife to become one flesh. The wonders of God's design should be celebrated as we rejoice together according to God's creative genius. Isn't it awesome how he made us? You know, consider the wonder of man's penile erection and its perfect design for intercourse. Consider the wonder of a woman's vaginal lubrication that prepares her for intercourse. And also the amazing design of a woman's clitoris, which is simply the only function seems to be for sexual pleasure. And so we, I just, I just rejoice and praise God for the wonders of his design of how he's designed us for two, for the two to become one flesh and to give each other pleasure. And, and it's the one, as we have these wonders of God's creative genius in mind, let's look at Romans chapter 1, verse 18 and following. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. 
since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Verse 21, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. Verse 27, in the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. These scriptures here from Romans 1 very clearly show us that homosexual sin is an unnatural contradiction of the amazing design of our Creator. If men abandon natural sexual relations with women and have sex with men and use parts of the human body designed to remove waste as objects of sex, then they will receive in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. I believe this is precisely what happened with the AIDS epidemic. So God's design for sexual pleasure is an amazing good. Yet if we say to people to follow the design of their great creator, we are evil. We are oppressors who are imposing our values. Beyond homosexual sin is and resulting from homosexual sin is the perplexing confusion that results from gender identity. So now our culture calls it good and, and justifies a male or a female who denies it the way they're created and simply chooses another gender identity. How unnatural is that? What confusion does that generate with the people close to them? Scripture describes our God as a God of order, not of confusion. God makes no mistakes in how he creates us. A few months ago, I did a simple Google search of the question, how many genders are there? Google's answer, given as its first response, with no references, no footnotes or anything, said this, and I quote, There are many different gender identities, including male, female, transgender, gender neutral, non-binary, agender, pangender, genderqueer, two-spirit, third gender, and all, none, or a combination of these. There are more gender identities 
than we've listed. Now, that's the end quote. <clears throat> now, yesterday, I did the same search again. Asked the same question. How many genders are there? This time, Google's first response was titled, What are the four genders? Just below this first response was a little section called People Also Ask, and it said, what are the 76 genders? Listed fifth in Google's response was a blog from ABC News entitled, Here's a list of 58 gender options for Facebook users. It makes me so sad to think of a child born into this culture who would have no relationship with Jesus and, and have no way of, of, no, of being led by him to know the way, the truth, and the life. And so what, what a perplexing situation this is, that all this, this, this gender identity confusion. And I believe as a result of all this confusion, is an amazing statistic has happened with suicide. Suicide is the second leading cause of death among youth in our country. And according to the CDC, suicide rates have increased 33% between 1999 and 2019. Now, there's many, probably many reasons for the increase in suicide. I'm not alluding, not seeking to say that only homosexuality and gender identity has caused that, but, but the perplexity of it has certainly caused such confusion and lack of peace among people, and that certainly may have led to many suicides. So in summary, our culture has denied the truth that God is our awesome creator who made us male and female, and he has enabled us to have amazing joyful, pure, safe sex in the context of marriage. Therefore, as our culture has denied the Creator's amazing design and God's amazing plan, what has resulted? The death of millions of babies, 62 million abortions, and mass gender confusion resulting in suicide and and resulting in, in homosexual sin, resulting in death through sexually transmitted diseases. All these deaths, diseases, and suicides come about because of the, the deception of our culture calling God's good ways evil. This kind of reflects what Scripture says. The wages of sin is death. Now, I'm... I'm coming to a close in this podcast, but as I before I wrap this up with a thought about further thought about discerning the truth in our day, I want to just pause a moment. Consider what I've just done and what may happen. As a follower of Jesus, I have simply sought to speak the truth in love regarding the rampant deception of our times. Hopefully, I'm such a an obscure voice and not well known and all that, that hopefully my words will survive the censorship that may occur because of social media counseling what my thoughts are. 
and you know, obviously in our current times, what I have said would be labeled homophobic. So my effort to speak the truth in love, my effort to to highlight God's goodness as our awesome creator will be called oppressively evil and who knows, may even be counseled by social media. The final thought I have about this, about the difficulty of discerning the truth in our day regards the news media. <clears throat> and there's so much we could say about that. Uh, my focus is going to be to just look at a particular issue regarding the New York Times. New York Times is one of the most well-known newspapers in the world. And it, like lots of newspapers, they're losing subscribers to the internet and all that sort of thing. And so the New York Times has is currently putting out a series of ads that focuses on truth. One ad says, the truth is worth it. Another ad says, the truth is essential. Yet, in spite of this apparent focus that they supposedly have about truth, they have sponsored a piece of work called the 1619 Project. It even won a Pulitzer Prize. Wikipedia describes this project, quote, as written by writers from the New York Times and the New York Times Magazine, which aims to reframe the United States' history, end quote. <clears throat> As we think about this, and uh, Karl Marx had an amazing quote about history. He said, 